Welcome to the Sword and Trial podcast. The Sword and Trial is a ministry of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. I'm Graham Gundon. It's good to have you with us today, and we want to take just a minute and invite you, if you've not already signed up, to register for the upcoming Founders Conference, which will be in January 2023, right here in Southwest Florida. We're going to be dealing with the issue of biblical anthropology. What is man? And those questions can no longer be taken for granted. Uh, we have to look at what the scripture says, which the scripture is not unclear or, am, un, or ambiguous at all on this. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be looking at that. We've got uh, Joel Beakey coming in, Paul Washer, Vody Balkum. Uh, there'll be others as well that we will announce that will be with us for that week. If you haven't signed up, go to founders.org, get more information on this. We also have uh, Institute of Public Theology courses taking place. We've got some that are going on for the summer terms. And then in August, we're going to kick off a new year with two more professors coming in. I'm very excited about this. Uh, Graham, we got one of your former professors from mm-hmm. Reformation Bible College coming in, Ben Dunson. Yep. And he's going to be teaching a course on public theology. Yep. I'm excited for that. And, you know, he's a Presbyterian, no less. And so we're being very Catholic in the Absolutely. way that we uh, bring bring professors in. Yeah, we got another Presbyterian lined up. Carl Truman will be here with us next year, God willing, to teach out of his book on the rise and triumph of the modern That'll self. That'll be great. Uh, a course on ethics. And then we've got Richard Barcellus, who he's just a Baptist like us. Yeah, yeah. And he's going to be teaching hermeneutics, which is his wheelhouse as well. Those courses are coming up in August. And if you would like to audit the courses or you'd like to enroll in IOPT, you can go to the Institute of Public Theology.org and get more information on that as well. We would love to have you here and study with these uh, giants who have. Mm-hmm. Uh, given a lot of thought and energy to this. When I, when I was talking to Ben about this course, he's never taught this course before, yeah. but he's taught elements of public theology and all of his other courses. And mm-hmm. so this is going to be a compilation of things that he's drawing from various disciplines and various years of experience and study. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I hope to be able to sit in uh, on uh, several lectures on both of those classes as yeah. well as the ones going on this summer. He did his dissertation on Romans. So obviously okay. there's a lot of public theology coming yeah. out of that. Um, and so I know in the classes that I took with him, there's quite a bit of that present. And also he's a poli-sci major from Texas A&M. That's right. He's a good ag. So, yeah, right. uh, yeah I've forgotten <laughs> about that. I keep forgetting about that. But when we had him on the podcast here, uh, I don't know, several weeks ago, you can go back and find that. Um, he talked a little bit about his work with the American Reformer mm-hmm. as well, which is a new endeavor that he's involved in. I encourage you to check that out also. Well, uh, we are fresh on the heels of the Southern Baptist Convention that met out in Anaheim, California. I don't feel very fresh. <laughs> no, we're still <laughs> recovering from that. Uh, there's a major shift from Eastern time zone to Pacific time zone, yeah. and my body is still trying to catch up uh, mm-hmm. with that. So I'm sure there are a lot of other folks like it as well. But we went with all of the elders of our church right. and uh, several other folks from our church took our full contingency of messengers or a significant number of messengers, as well as guests from the congregation. Founders had a booth out there at uh, SBC, which we've been allowed to have for the last several years. So we had a, uh, a lot of opportunities and some good experiences while we were in uh, Anaheim. And we want to talk a little bit about that uh, today. We're not going to fully debrief. We'll be doing that maybe a little bit later. But we do want to talk just kind of about highlights, lowlights, and uh, kind of thoughts in reflection from just a few days. So Graham, give us what were the highlights? What would be one or two highlights for you from the experience out in Anaheim? Yeah, I think, you know, before that, I think it, it really is important to take time 
to process everything that happened because there's so much yeah. that, that takes place. There's so many people you talk to, so much happening from the platform, so much being said from the floor, so many different people that you're able to kind of um, build relationships with. So it does take time to kind of figure out, okay, what did I just experience? <laughs> what just happened? Um, so there's a lot of good. There's a lot of not so good. But um, some of the highlights, I mean, just being able to meet um, some people who I've been friendly with on social media before, um, guys like Corey Smith and others. Mm. I mean, it's just a great time to, to spend with them, like-minded brothers. Um, and then people that I know that I've not seen in some time and be able to discuss some substantive issues. I thought that was really good. Um, being able to be with other people who maybe don't agree with me on everything, mm -hmm. um, but be able to see their sincerity and their good brothers and sisters. Um, so that, that was good. Um, being able to, to have a platform, you know, I didn't get up to, to the mic to say anything, um, but I was able to have a lot of conversations with people privately, but for you were able to, to speak a lot. I think that, um, that time that we had on Monday or Sunday evening um, before, no, it was Monday evening, before the convention started. Where oh, we, that open air, yeah, open Yeah, right mic. out in, yeah, the, in yeah, the courtyard yeah. after the, the pastor's conference. I thought that was just a phenomenal time. You know, several hundred people out there in the courtyard, and we were just able to have a Q&A session, and it was very open and honest, and you were able to address a lot of the issues happening in the, in the convention. So that, those would probably be my two highlights of the convention. Yeah, yeah there were uh, some really good times and some encouraging things as well. And I, I do want to say thank you uh, to the folks that supported me and uh, people that made it out to Anaheim to vote for me. Um, man, you know, praise God for the encouraging words and the various expressions of love and encouragement that I've experienced over the last few months. I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I don't take that for granted. And uh, people have you know, texted me after the vote, you know, and Barbara won. I lost. Uh, they got all kind of texts. I think I woke up Wednesday morning, and from Tuesday night to Wednesday morning, had over 200 texts. And a lot of pastors saying, man, we can't believe how things are going in the convention, not just with the vote for presidency, but other things that were happening, saying we're out, you know, we're gone, Our, we, we cannot stay Southern Baptist anymore. And my counsel has been and remains, don't make any rash decisions. Just right. what you said, it's never wise to make a decision in the heat of passion or in a moment whenever you have uh, had your emotions just kind of raked over the coals, either in ecstasy or in depression, whatever it is, you just need to be wise. So we're encouraging folks to take a couple of months, reflect, pray, think, debrief with people that uh, can help you think through things and uh, determine you know, what the best course forward for you is. And that's what we're going to do here at Grace. And we're uh, grateful for all the good things that the SBC has done through the years and way we've been able to participate. And that brings me to, I think, one of the top highlights for me was the very beginning of the convention. I think this is the first time, at least the first time that I can remember, where we had uh, the International Mission Board report, or at least part of it, with recognizing 52 mm -hmm. people being sent into various fields to uh, make Christ known. And it was, it was wonderful. I was just sitting there listening to their stories. Some of them, you couldn't, uh, they couldn't tell us their uh, names and faces. You couldn't see their faces because of the places where they're going. It was just a reminder of what is the, what's best about the Southern Baptist yeah. Convention. So that's a great way to start uh, any business meeting, annual business meeting we have, I hope that that will become the pattern going forward as well, because it was just a fresh reminder that, yeah, you know, these things are worth trying to correct where there's problems and shore up where there's weaknesses and just continue to affirm where there's strengths, because there's a lot on the line in terms of getting the gospel around the world. So I was yeah. encouraged by that. And those 52 missionaries, I mean, that's central to why we ever, we even exist as a convention, that's right. even going back to 1845. I mean, that's why, that's why we come together every year as a convention. And so I think if we can begin 
the convention in that way every year. That's great. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And so, but lots of private conversations. That uh, courtyard Q and A was really good too. My voice mm-hmm. wore out. Fortunately, <laughs> <laughs> there was a, a street preacher that was a part of it, and somebody discovered he had one of those uh, bullhorns. Bullhorns, and so I was able to use that and kind of calm down my voice some toward the end. I'm grateful for uh, Sean Bergen and whoever else mm-hmm. arranged for that to uh, uh, be become part of that event. So that was really encouraging too. And then just seeing some of the things from the floor, messengers making appeals. Now, you know, I don't think the, I don't think the, the meeting was moderated very well. I think this may have been one of the most poorly moderated uh, Southern Baptist conventions I've ever been a part mm-hmm. of. There's just a lot of mistakes, a lot of hesitations, a lot of backing up, a lot of misstated things. You know, the uh, the Ed Litton just would repeatedly say the wrong things and have yeah. to correct himself and sometimes I think left wrong impressions in people's mind. Not not intentionally, yeah. but it just, there, it just wasn't our best game on that. But there were messengers who tried and that's a good thing. That's indication of uh, the people coming from the churches saying, hey, we would like to hear some accountability uh, from our institutions and agencies and those who lead them. Now, the responses they got weren't always encouraging. So uh, you and I were talking about the folks in the SBC who really are for the complete abolition of abortion, getting mm-hmm. to microphones, and I think asking it seems like every one of the seminary presidents, you know, do you believe in equal protection under the law for unborn children? And I don't think any of the seminary presidents, at least the ones I heard, mm-hmm. did not give an answer an, an, to that question. They answered other questions around that. Mm-hmm. But Al Mohler, I think, answered the question. Yeah, so he, I, I, he said yes. Yeah, I think I wasn't there to hear Al Mohler's answer, although I heard that he answered that question directly. Other people were asked, you know, other presidents were asked, do you believe that uh, infants in the womb should have equal protection under the law. Mm-hmm. None of them, with the exception of Al, answered that question. They, you know, I'm pro-life. I'm pro-life. I've always tomb. been pro-life. You know, <laughs> I'll never vote for a pro-choice president, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Great. Those are all good things to say. Thank you. But that's not an answer to the question. Yeah. And that's frustrating. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, it's it's not that hard to say yes mm-hmm. or no. Um, and, and yet, you know, I get it that there's probably political pressures and things, but still it would seem to me that the messengers of the convention deserve to have straight up answers to straightforward questions. And they didn't always get that. They certainly didn't get that. Or, well, maybe they did get it from, uh, the acting president of the ethics and religious liberty commission as well. Um, this Brent Leatherwood, because yeah. he was asked yeah. about that. And I, I think he probably felt attacked and uh, wound up saying, you're not going to get me to, to say that we ought to put mothers behind bars. Right. You know, so he was making the... So, so, I mean, the question is, what mother? I know. What <laughs> mother? I, I'm going to identify as a mother so I can do anything in the world I want to do. And he's going to say, that man should not be held accountable. <laughs> yeah. And, sorry. Yeah. I mean, it's, no, it's ridiculous. And to think that he's the head of the ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Yeah. I mean, I, he, he, you know, with all due respect, I don't know him personally, but he shouldn't be in that position. And if mm-hmm. the trustees would honor the uh, stewardship that they have in behalf of the churches, they would ask him to step down. They would well, remove him. The, on the part of Brent Leatherwood, there is such a failure of moral reasoning when it comes to this issue. I mean, we had just gotten done speaking on Tuesday and then on Wednesday morning about the sexual abuse within Southern Baptist churches. 
um, and how we had we put forward a resolution that called uh, civil governments to criminalize any um, pastor that has any sort of sexual re- right. relationship with a church member, regardless of consent. Now, I'm okay with that because I'm okay with any adultery being illegal. Yeah, that's right. right. So <laughs> great, um, but. But then you get Brent Leatherwood stepping up to the to the plate and saying, you know, I don't believe that we should put mothers behind bars because I think the same grace and mercy that's been shown to us should be shown to these mothers who have had abortions. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, great, now do sexual predators. That's right. Because we just got done saying that if someone's a sexual predator, we want to lock them up, right? Yeah. That doesn't mean that we can't preach the gospel to them, but there's justice, yeah. right? And yeah. for a mother who kills her child, she's guilty guilty of murder, and there is justice. We, yeah. be, we can be gracious, and we can show mercy and preach the gospel, but there's still justice that has to be enacted. Yeah, and, and there's grace for that, but there's, there's only grace for that if you understand what that is. Mm -hmm. So if you murder somebody and you are convinced that all you did was slap them and you didn't really murder them, you didn't really break the sixth commandment, then, hey, I I just need grace for a slap. I don't need grace for murder. And so what is happening here, and this is what just grieves me with the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, they are cutting off the access to the very grace that they say they want to show to people who are complicit in abortion. And it's just a, it's a misunderstanding. It's such poor moral reasoning. It's a misunderstanding of the gospel, the way the gospel works, misunderstanding of God's law. And it's indicative. It's just like a a, a little snapshot of so much that is wrong in the evangelical world today in thinking about ethical, moral issues. Yeah. And there, you know, our friend Wes got up to the mic during that ERLC report and he, he said, you know, you have stated that uh, a woman who commits an abortion does commit sin. What sin <laughs> is that? And Brent Leatherwood wouldn't answer the question. He called Kevin Smith up to answer the question. Yeah. Kevin Smith said, like, he didn't know what the point of the question was. It's the Ten Commandments, Sixth Commandment, Sixth it's commandment, murder. Yeah. <laughs> but if it's murder... Right. There's a punishment for that. And and if if a mother has received the grace of God and forgiveness of her sin of abortion, praise God for that. Mm -hmm. The civil magistrate still has a responsibility, just as a sexual predator who has abused someone can receive the grace of God and receive forgiveness for that. The civil magistrate still has a responsibility to punish that. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that was really a low light for me that... uh, you just see how th- th- these things are not complicated. They mm-hmm. don't have to be complicated. Mm-hmm. If you're straight on God's law and God's gospel, then you can speak to these things and you don't have to be positioned as some kind of uh, moral monster that just yeah. wants to find every woman and criminalize her, yeah. which is the language they've used, which is Orwellian language. Uh, you, no, you're talking about the gospel that saves murderers, the gospel mm-hmm. that saves adulterers, the gospel that saves sexual predators. It is that power of God to transform lives so that we can say, as Paul does in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, such were some of you. Mm-hmm. But if you if you downplay it and you say, oh, well, that's not really something that is criminal, that's really not something that is sinful, then you're just confusing categories. You're cutting people off from God's grace. So that... It's indicative of just how far we have drifted from what the Word of God actually says. And I know there are people that say, oh, you know, there's there's no drift. You guys are just um, making stuff up. You're you're trying to describe a boogeyman that will cause people to jump up and do stuff. I mean, just listen to the conversation. Yeah. And so there was a motion to uh, disband the RLC. And, of course, that failed. And one of the main reasons it failed, I think there's like 30%, though, that voted for it. Mm -hmm. So if you're a trustee of the ERLC or you're a staff member of the ERLC, you ought to take that to heart. 
30% yeah. of the messengers that showed up indicated they would just assume you not exist as an entity. So that ought to be a wake-up call to you and realize that there are churches that own you, own the, own the institutions you serve, that are not happy. And if you have any sensitivity and sense of stewardship, you ought to be asking questions and saying, what is it? You know, let's do a little self-evaluation here. But let me just give a pro tip to uh, those that are disappointed in the ERLC. It takes two-thirds of the messengers to disband the ERLC, and it would take two years in a row of two-thirds majority voting to do that. It only takes 50% plus one to defund the ERLC. So if you really want to see it done away with next year in New Orleans, you can show up with preparation and a motion to cut the budget of the ERLC. You can cut it all the way down to zero, or you can cut it to half, or you can say, make a motion to take the money that would go to the ERLC budget and give it to uh, this new task force or give it to the IMB or whatever. And uh, you, you only need half the room plus one. You only need a simple majority to make that happen. And mm-hmm. if that happens, well, then the ERLC can function. They just won't have any money to Does function that take with. two years or one? One year. I think it's one year because the budget is voted on annually. So mm-hmm. it could happen in the next fiscal year, which I think begins October 1. So for those giving the motion, the word is defund, not abolish. Yeah, and it's, it's a motion regarding the budget because we're asked to adopt the budget. Mm-hmm. And so you can make an amendment to the, budget. To the budget. Yeah, we want to amend the budget at this point and take the money that's designated for ERLC, give it to the IMB, and if you get 50% plus one, then it's done. And, and, you know, it's really a shame because I think the ERLC could be a massive asset, not only to the Southern Baptist Convention, but to the Evangelical Church in America. Right. It really, I mean, and that's why it's formed, right? Um, I would much rather see the ERLC reformed than disbanded. However, it does more harm than good at this point. And I'm going to, every time, every time the motion's put forward to disband the ERLC, I'm going to vote for it because I want them to get the message that they're not doing their job well. Yeah, yeah, they're very unresponsive. You know, and you could say, well, they're responsive at two-thirds of the churches. That's true, I suppose, because two-thirds didn't vote to uh, do away with them. But one-third is still significant, mm-hmm. and there ought to be at least conversation and some evaluation of, okay, what are we saying, what are we doing that needs to be uh, reconsidered? So those things um, were part of the convention. I, I think maybe a competition for second lowest point would be Rick Warren's speech. when mm. uh, <laughs> he And I think this was actually contrary to Robert's Rules of Order, except I, the, the moderator can make a special exception, but there was none cited that I mm-hmm. recall, but Rick yeah, he Warren just came up. Yeah, and you could tell it was kind of planned because he's, you know, Litton's just said, you know, Rick, or you're at not, you know, Mike Nine or whatever. Yeah, and Bart Barber said publicly that he made known to Rick he had the opportunity to do that if he wanted to. Uh, Bart was, I think, I'm not sure he was thinking rightly about it. He cited uh, Robert's Rules of Order, maybe I think it was Article, article Eight seven. or Seven or Eight, something like yeah. that. And I'm not sure that article actually applies to this. But again, I didn't go back and read it. I just was reading what uh, he tweeted about it. But nevertheless, it was set up. Rick spoke seven minutes uninterrupted, beginning with, I never defend myself. I'm not going to defend myself. It did. Well, just go listen to it. Okay, just go. You can watch the speech yourself and see how Rick Warren doesn't defend himself. Honestly, it, it 
it could be one of the lowest points of the convention or it could be one of the highest points of the convention because it's just produced so many funny memes and it's just <laughs> been the point of so much laughter and so much jest. But yeah. at the same time, it does show where we're at as a convention that he got out there and spewed that garbage and then he got a standing ovation. Yeah, about half the convention uh, stood up and yeah. applauded him, which uh, and the whole deal was about his church having very publicly with great celebration ordaining three women pastors mm-hmm. last year. And uh, that was disappointing to see the credentials committee as well. You know, how they handled that was, uh, I think they fumbled the ball uh, pretty big time on that as well. So those things are there, but it is a reminder that uh, we have a association of churches, 47,000 churches that have determined over the course of our history as a denomination or as the SBC, that we can do some things better together than we can do alone, and we ought to cooperate on that. Here's another interesting little tidbit that that ought to be factored into any evaluation. If you're inside the SBC or you're thinking about becoming SBC, only 3,500 churches were represented out of 47,000. Mm-hmm. And Anaheim is uh, it's tough ground you know, yeah. to, to fight for these kinds of causes because it was expensive to get there. You had uh, a, a large number of people who are there on the cooperative program dime. So that what that means is churches that have given to support SBC entities, those entities sent many of their employees and representatives to the convention. And undoubtedly, many of those who came, came as messengers of their churches. So they got to vote. So they're using the money of the churches to vote for the things that some of those churches, at least, uh, would not be in favor of. New Orleans would be a little different territory. It'd be easier access for more regular Certainly. types of uh, Southern Baptist churches. So, you know, keep all that in mind. And um, if you're going to stay in, well, then stay in. Let your voice be heard. I do think there was more effort of that this year, which is a good thing, mm-hmm. To uh, from just normal churches, messengers from normal-sized churches, pastors, you know, just are out in the, um, the hinterlands of the SBC who – showed up and said, hey, we got questions or we got concerns and weren't always dealt with the way that I think they could have been dealt with, but they at least got to microphone. Some of them did. So that's not bad. Yeah, you know, um, humanly speaking, uh, Reformation in the Southern Baptist Convention really is a matter of turnout at the convention, right? Um, It is incredibly just, you know, having to get tickets myself and finding hotels and all that kind of stuff. And everything is so expensive in Anaheim. Um, getting out to Anaheim is incredibly difficult mm-hmm. to do. It's very difficult to have turnout in Anaheim, California, although many people really put in a good effort to get there. Yeah. Um, New Orleans is you know a day's drive for probably, I don't know the this, this stats, but probably the majority mm-hmm. of Southern Baptist churches. It's a day's drive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we could get a lot of churches to represent themselves at the convention in New Orleans. Right. Yeah, that's right. And so that would, you know, if you're going to stay Southern Baptist, do that. Look at that and figure out ways to cooperate with other churches. And if you want to see a change in the direction of the way things are going, or you want to see greater responsiveness on the part of the entities, then uh, make it a priority to get there. Bart Barber's president, you know, pray for Bart. Uh, Bart, I like Bart. We've been friends for years. In fact, I just uh, I sent him a message last night. I was going through some old messages on Facebook, which people message me on Facebook. I never check it. I just, mm-hmm. I don't do that. And so I'll find things five years, some of them 10 years old, people saying, hey, you know, <laughs> well, okay, that ship's passed, but I appreciate the effort <laughs> to communicate. I just don't pay attention to uh, Messenger. But I was going through stuff last night, and I found an exchange of messages that he and I had back in 2018 before the convention. And I was actually encouraging him to run for president. 
in 2018. I said, I will back you mm-hmm. if you run for president in 2018 because uh, the options at that point were J.D. Greer and Ken Hemphill, I think maybe had uh, announced. I'm not sure. But anyway, the writing on the wall for me as I was looking at the landscape back then was, man, you know, would love to have Bart. Uh, uh, he would be a better option than yeah. what we wound up with in 2018 so and, that was funny and i think that he still will be a better option oh yeah than no Greer and, and Litton. I think absolutely that, i think you know i told him i think he's a man of integrity and i, I think that's what the convention needs right now although we don't see things the same way and right and um but you know continue to pray for him yeah and absolutely use him in this office yeah do pray for him my wife and i uh, got to know him and tracy and uh robin and kathy hadaway through the event in Keller, Texas, where they had a little panel for all of the uh, candidates at that time. And uh, it was just wonderful, you know, just having fellowship with them. And I'd never met Robin and Kathy, and so that was neat. We had some common connections and relationships, so that was really fun to uh, even we've been following up on that and in, in, uh, communicating with each other. But I've known Bart for years. I don't know that I ever met Tracy before. But, again, you just realize, okay, these are these are real people. He's a faithful Southern Baptist pastor. He's mm-hmm. been at his church a long time. He's trying to do a faithful job shepherding God's people. And so he deserves our prayers. And mm-hmm. so we, Don and I have been praying for them uh, ever since we had that time with them. And it's been a wonderful thing for us to pray about. I'd encourage everyone to pray for Bart. He's got a lot of responsibilities and opportunities, and mm-hmm. he's going to need wisdom from on high, and he's going to need God's spirit to guide him and to protect him and help him, and also to carry on his regular responsibilities as a pastor. So it's a right thing to pray for him. Yeah, and you know, one other uh, high point of the convention that I didn't mention, and I think is a good sign, is, you know, Bart chaired the resolutions committee this year. Um, And we had nine resolutions, uh, some of them good, some of them really not good. Um, But when we got towards the end, we were running out of time. Bart asked the the platform if we could have an extra 10 minutes. And he said, we'll go, we'll forego these other resolutions that we wanted to bring out just so we can have some debate from the Mm -hmm. floor, bringing out resolutions that the committee did not bring out. And so he gave the floor opportunity to make their voices heard. I thought, I thought that was really fair. I thought that was a, that was a class act. Yeah, me too. And I think that will, that's indicative, I think, of how he will try uh, to do things. So uh, that was, yeah, that was an unusual thing in terms of how that committee has functioned in recent years. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about the sexual abuse task force and the recommendations a couple times on the show. So I, I don't think we should need to go into much detail um, today, although I'm sure we'll talk about it again later. Um, your thoughts on the recommendations from the floor, the debate that took place after the re- recommendations were presented. Um, and then also you received a little bit of uh, pushback after you shared the Megan Basham article mm-hmm. on social media. So what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I thought that uh, Mark Coppinger's uh, talk from the floor was probably <laughs> the most sane thing we heard yes. the whole two days. Yes, what a <laughs> and, boss. And, you know, I mean, Mark was great. So you ought to get that. Uh, you can find that video. Uh, when the task force report was made. I think that was on Tuesday afternoon early. And Mark just very simply, clearly, winsomely uh, said, let's let's look at the facts, look at the mm-hmm. data, make sure we're not making decisions on something that's not true data. And, um, of course, he was uh, shut down pretty hard by yeah. the chairman of that task force mm-hmm. that uh, tried to be respectful but you know, basically – Anyway, didn't didn't give much credence to what Mark said. So I was grateful for what Mark said. 
Uh, I was on the Baptist 21 panel Tuesday morning as well with uh, Danny Aiken and Al Moeller and uh, Bart Barber and Juan Sanchez and uh, I've forgotten the lady's name, Dana's her first name, I think with the ERLC. I apologize for not remembering her name. And in that panel discussion, uh, a question was brought up about you know the task force and attorney-client privilege and uh, how we should think of things going forward. And Al Mohler made the statement on the panel that he believed the amended recommendations from the task force were much better than their original recommendations, and he thought that those amended recommendations could fit within Baptist polity. Now, he's far more optimistic about that than I am, but I was grateful that he's optimistic about it you know mm-hmm. so I was glad to hear him say that because I'm sure he's thought more deeply about it and and he was involved in some of the negotiations uh, behind the scenes that I was not so the recommendations we'll see there's there's millions of dollars being set aside mm-hmm. for this new task force and dealing with abuse reform uh, we'll see how that's handled the sharks are in the water they smell blood so mm-hmm. if you just google southern baptist uh, sex abuse lawsuits, you'll see, I think the last count that was made known to me was over 20 uh, major law firms that are building class action suits against the Southern Baptist Convention. And one of my great fears is that if the case can be made in court, that what happens in any part of the Southern Baptist world becomes a liability to any other part of the Southern Baptist world, that you're going to see the disillusion of the Southern yeah. Baptist Convention. I don't yeah. know how you avoid that. And there are already things in the court system right now. Because the ERLC filed an amicus brief years ago that uh, had they had to- the Thomas More Foundation right that says that the SBC is basically an umbrella organization over everything else. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It, it's really right. Thanks atrocious. Thanks again, ERLC. Thank you, ERLC. And whenever it was called to account and Southern Baptists began to read it and say, this is crazy, the ERLC had to write a letter saying this was a mistake. So praise God for that. But I've had two different lawyers tell me that that is a ticking time bomb, mm. that it's now in the court records, and that at any point it could blow up and be utilized against uh, SBC churches. I, I hope that's not true. I'm not a lawyer. Don't play one on TV, but it concerns me. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've got other things with the uh, North American Mission Board as well. I think that that you know could create some of that same kind of sentiment in the court system. So if that happens, and you're going to see Southern Baptist churches quit giving. I mean, yeah. I, I, I've already had pastors and uh, members of churches say, we're not going to contribute money that's supposed to be going for missions that's going to be going for statues being built for sex abuse survivors. We're mm-hmm. just not going to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, so those are questions going forward. Southern Baptists are going to have to sort out. And hopefully we can do so in a humble and honorable honorable way. Yeah, and one of the concerns as well um, is that there's not, at least on my part, and I know on the part of a lot of other pastors in the convention, there's not a lot of trust that can be placed in um, for instance, a sexual abuse implement, implementation task force that they're, they're talking mm-hmm. about because of the way in which the investigation through guideposts was yeah. mishandled in, in many right. ways. And Megan Basham talks about that in her article that she recently published at Daily Wire. Um, and of course, anytime you bring this up, people just, the accusations fly, you know, you don't care about caring well for mm-hmm. abuse survivors. And, and that's not it, but we really do need to have discussions about these details and how we care well and how we care for those who are being accused because it is possible that they could be falsely accused. Um, and, and so, and, and we've seen ways in which the investigation has really kind of gone south and, and due diligence wasn't done. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so it's it's hard for me to see a way in which this is handled properly. Now it yeah. depends on who's put on that implementation task force. Right. But it's um it seems scary to me right now. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I think Guidepost did no one any favors uh, by coming out and saying, hey, we support LGBTQ+, plus. we're allies. Right. Uh, but if that's who they are, we ought to know it. I wish we'd have known it before we gave them millions of dollars to yeah. uh, do this research. Well, and didn't, didn't we have opportunity to know that beforehand? Should, absolutely. It wasn't like this is hidden. Right. They, they, had, they had talked about how they were allies that's before, right. before we hired them. Without a doubt. And yet this was what... You know, the the consultants and people that Southern Baptists have been told we ought to listen to, mm-hmm. this is who they told us we ought to go with. Yeah. So part of my concern is that we have been listening to the wrong people in terms of how we address this issue and how we go forward on it. And in the midst of all of that, I think we've just assumed and lost sight of the fact that we do have Scripture. Mm-hmm. Scripture's been given to us to equip us to do every good work that needs to be done in the life of a Christian, life of a church. And yet, um, we seem to just kind of gloss over it. Yeah. So going forward, one of the questions that we've battered around, people have pitched to us, is how will what happened in Anaheim affect <clears throat> the way churches deal with sex abuse? <clears throat> Excuse me. And I can say that in our church, it won't affect us at all. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to treat crimes as crimes, sins as sins. Mm-hmm. We're going to practice church discipline. We're going to call the civil authorities whenever they're crimes. And we're going to continue to do what we've been doing. And we're no, we don't do it perfectly. We're not claiming any infallibility, but we are claiming that we think we see enough in Scripture to guide us through even these very difficult, uh, sometimes horrifying events. And mm-hmm. we've, we've dealt with it in our church before, and I hope we never have to deal with it again, but I'm not going to be blown away if we do because we are east of Eden, and uh, it's not the problems that turn a church upside down. It's how the church handles its problems, yeah. and we have a book for that. Yeah, and we need to recognize, for those of us who are trying to pay attention to the details <laughs> and how we implement these things, we also need to say like, there is a real problem um, in the Southern Baptist Convention with people just trying to sweep sins and sweep right. problems under the rug. And sex abuse is one of these That's things right. because we're concerned about numbers. We're concerned about our image. Um, that is the root of the problem. Like you've said so many times, we don't fear God. If our churches feared God, then we wouldn't uh, be running into this problem where we're trying to cover up for sexual abuse and for mm-hmm. many, many other sins. That's exactly right. And I, it's not funny, but I, I mean, people So Tom, why don't you... Why don't you uh, care about sex abuse? You know, why, why haven't you said that the task force report uh, has just validated all the concerns that people have been raising over the years? And I'm thinking, have you listened to me? Have you read anything I've written? Mm-hmm. You know, I think every time I've addressed this, I've made the point that, yes, things have been made known that are horrific. Most of the things that the task force put together were public. And so mm-hmm. it's not like I was unaware of them because they were public record matters that have been talked about in different venues. Some of them I was unaware of before mm-hmm. the task force report, but what makes it so uh, devastating is it was all put together in that one place. And you see this, you say, yeah, we got problems. We've been talking about problems mm-hmm. and the way you articulate it is just, is just right. We have tried to handle things in ways that are contrary to the word of God. Yep. That's it. NDAs and severance packages. Exactly. It's all part of the same deal, the same approach. And so, um, yeah, I haven't changed my 
thoughts on this, and this will be the message going forward, you know, from our church and our association of churches and any impact influence that we can have is, man, we need to return to the fear of God. Mm -hmm. If God would grant us that, if we could truly come to genuine repentance over that, see things the way they really are, be humbled by that, it would be uh, the start of a very healthy way forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, when it comes to the, the convention, I think there were three high point speeches in the convention. Um, first, I think Josh Abatoy's speech regarding the uh, abolishing of the ERLC, I thought was great mm-hmm. from the floor. Mark Coppinger's mm-hmm. speech regarding the sexual abuse task force from mm-hmm. the floor was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Mike Stone's nomination speech of you for president, I <laughs> yeah. thought was also somebody, somebody came up to me and like, man, I got saved again. <laughs> I know. Well, he, he, he convinced me to switch my vote. <laughs> so I voted for myself. I wasn't going to do that. It, it was good. It yeah, was it good. really was good. Well, um, We'll talk more about this going forward. We didn't want to do a real deep dive today, but we did want to just at least acknowledge that this is what's been going on the last week. And again, express appreciation to all those who prayed for me, for our church, for the SBC. Uh, do pray for Bart Barber going forward. And if you're part of the SBC, then you need to have some serious conversations about, okay, what does this look like for us to participate? If you have friends in the SBC, then encourage them to do that. Help them any way you can. And remember that uh, in and through all of this, Christ is on the throne. He is doing a thousand things that we Mm. cannot begin to fully comprehend right now, but he's working. So in one sense, man, uh, the most important things have not changed. And that is what is fundamental. Uh, Second Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 need to be just kind of imprinted on the back of our eyelids so that we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, because it's those unseen things that are eternal. And that's what works in us, this eternal weight of glory. And uh, that's where we need to live. Um, No matter what happens next week, next year, a decade from now, remember that we serve an exalted Savior. And so we ought to have hope and joy and look forward to the future with great anticipation, knowing that he is going to keep every one of his promises. He's going to do what he says and that we are going to be in him victorious over sin, death, hell, and over this world. So thanks for listening to us on the Sword and Trial. We look forward to coming to you again next week.